So uh, about, I guess it was over 10 years ago, I was with a older gentleman. Uh, we'd gone out for lunch and he had, this man had been used by God in a powerful way. He was an evangelist. He would fill stadiums and share the gospel, saw literally hundred, tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousands of people come to faith in Jesus over the, his lifetime. And uh, so we went to lunch and we were on the way back. And before I got out of the car, he, he turned to me and he said, Craig, he said, if you want a life that matters, you need to do what matters. And you know, I, I thanked him for that. And we got, I got out of the car and I went in my office, but I kept thinking about that. You know, if you want a life that matters, you need to do what matters. In fact, I, I took, I had a little marker board in my office. I'd got a pen and I, and I wrote that out on my marker board. If you want a life that matters, do what matters. And that sat there for probably a year. Okay. And throughout that year, I would often look at it and I would think to myself, you know, um, man, I want a life that matters. I want my life when it's over to have mattered, not just kind of come and gone and didn't make any impact. So what do I need to do that really matters? That was a, a haunting question for me. And as I began to pray and think about over, the, over these years, I've thought about it quite often. And so what we're gonna do this and that over the next five weeks in this series that we're starting today is we're gonna talk about the things that matter. The, the series is Do What Matters. And so I'm gonna give you five things, one for every Sunday, are the really things that matter for eternity, the things that really matter in life. You know, there's so many things that we can do that don't really matter, right? There are a lot of pressures and everything saying, hey, I matter, I matter, but what are the things that really matter for eternity? We're, we're gonna tackle one each week for the next five weeks, okay? So I hope that you'll stay with us all the way through this series because I really believe that these are things that are really vital and things that matter in life, in my life and in your life. So today, we're gonna tackle the first one. Okay, and really the first one is the most important one because the other ones kind of flow out of this first one. So I wanna show you the number one thing that matters the most. And I wanna show it to you in the Bible. So get your Bibles out and open up with me to Philippians chapter three. The book of Philippians in the New Testament chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, there's one at your seat and uh, you can use that one. If you don't have a Bible, please take that as our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's word. Philippians chapter three, uh, we'll also put the, uh, uh, the page number up on the screen so you can follow along. Philippians chapter three, we're gonna begin at verse seven. So we're just gonna kind of dive right on into it. If you found it, say amen. amen. All right, so this is uh, God's word, Philippians chapter three, beginning of verse seven. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. 
Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Now, these words were written by a man named Paul. Paul was a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, but he had a very dramatic um, trans, uh, com, uh, conversion experience. You know, if you, in fact, if you went back and looked at the verses ahead of the ones that I just read to you, they really give out Paul's resume. And Paul had a very impressive resume. He had pretty much everything going for him. He was raised in the right family. Uh, he said he was born to a good Jewish family with a good Jewish mom and dad. He was born into the right tribe, the tribe of, of Jewish people that produced kings and leaders. It would be like you saying, you know, I was born in the Roosevelt family. I was born in the Kennedy family. He was born in, in a dynasty tribe. He also had the best of education. He had the brightest of professors and instructors. He had a keen mind and a, and a brilliant mind. Uh, he really climbed the ladder of success and reached the pinnacle of it, even to the point of being a Pharisee, which were the, the most prominent, the most educated, the most influential and powerful people in the Jewish community. So in every possible way, he was climbing the ladder of success. He also hated Christians. He thought that Christians or Christianity in, in, as a whole was really uh, hating Judaism and, and turning people away from Judaism. And so he didn't want anybody to be a Christian. So he even went to great lengths, even to the point of persecuting Christians, even to the point of imprisoning Christians, even to the point of executing Christians for their faith in Jesus. And really, if you looked at Paul's life, he would think he was living the good life. He would think he was being very successful. He was really climbing the peak, right? He was attaining his goal of success and notoriety and power, but all that changed like that. He was on his way to uh, Syria, Damascus, in Syria to persecute Christians. And on this road to Damascus, all of a sudden a bright light enveloped him. Everyone in his party fell to the ground. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He had this dramatic face-to-face -face encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And from that moment, everything spun up for Paul. Everything changed. Everything was an about face. And the more he came to follow Jesus, the more, the longer he got to know who Jesus was, the more he began to understand how to walk with Jesus, the more his life was not anything like the, it was before. I mean, all the things that he thought was successful all of a sudden wasn't so successful. All the things that he thought was so important became not really so important. All the things that he thought was really going to add value to his life became garbage compared to what he calls the surpassing value of knowing Christ. This idea of knowing Jesus became the driving goal, the driving force in Paul's life, and it really changed everything. I think if I could teleport Paul in from heaven today on this stage, which would be pretty cool if I could do that, but I can't do that. But if I could, I'd teleport him right here and I'd say, Paul, you got one sentence. Tell us 
of what you've learned from your previous life to your life now, what would you say? I think this is what he would say. Nothing matters more than knowing Jesus. Nothing matters more. Nothing matters more than knowing Jesus. No uh, material gain matters more than knowing Jesus. No trophy that you win matters more than knowing Jesus. No accomplishment at work matters more than knowing Jesus. No human relationship matters more than knowing Jesus. Now you say, Craig, well, that's a pretty bold statement, right? I mean, nothing matters more. I mean, honestly, is that, how, how can you say that? Well, the Apostle Paul in this passage we just read actually tells us why nothing matters more. That's why I said earlier, all the things we're gonna talk about in the series kind of flow out of the fountainhead of this one thing, that nothing matters more than knowing Jesus. This is a starting point of living a life that matters. So why does Jesus matter so much? Why is knowing Jesus so important. Well, Paul gives us three things I want to lay out for you today. If you've got a pen and paper, get it out. I want you to write these things down so you can talk about it over lunch, okay? All right? So why is knowing Jesus so important? Here's the first thing. Because knowing Jesus makes you right with God. All right? Knowing Jesus makes you right with God. I want you to look at verse 9. Just look at it in your Bible, verse 9. He says, to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Now, here's what you got to understand. Paul lived his whole life trying to measure up. He lived his whole life uh, in Judaism trying to do more things to be sure that he did it right so that God would accept him, so that he could be right with God. He tried to be good enough. He tried to be spiritual enough. He tried to be moral enough. He tried to do all these things to try to be right with God. So he would go to the temple, so he would give, so he'd memorize scripture, so he would even persecute the church because he thought that was a good thing. He was going to great lengths to try to be right with God, but he suddenly realized he could not be right with God on his own effort. That's what he means by having a righteousness of my own, all right? Let me just teach you something here for a minute, all right? So lean into this. The word righteousness there means to be right with God, all right? So righteous, if I pursue righteousness, what that means is I'm pursuing being right with God. And he had a righteousness of his own. In other words, I'm trying from my own effort to try to do enough that I will be right with God. That one day when I die and I stand before God, which by the way, all of us are going to do. One day when I stand before God, I will be right with God by trying to do this righteousness on my own, this work on my own. But Paul began to realize that he can never do that. And here's why. Because there's a big problem with trying to establish righteousness on your own. Here's the big problem. How do you know when you've done enough, right? That's the big problem. How do I know when I've done enough? I mean, how good do I have to be to be right with God? Do I have to be 80% good? Do I have to be 90% good? Is it like my electrical plan? I just have to be good on nights and weekends? You know, I mean, how good do I have to be to be right with God? How good do you have to be? I talk to people all the time. They say, Pastor, man, I'm good. I say, well, how do you know you're good? Well, man, I believe in God and I, I try to be a good husband and a good dad. And I don't cheat my employees and I give the United Way and I volunteer and I come to church every once in a while and I'm a good person. I'll be all right. What he's saying is I am trying to earn my own righteousness by my own goodness. But how do you know that you're good enough? How do you know? 
if you've crossed the bar of acceptability before God. See, the problem is you can't know. If you're on a try harder treadmill, you can never know. You can never lay your head down on the pillow and say, you know what? I am confident of where I'm going when I die. You can never have assurance that I know that I'm right with God. You cannot do that because you never know if you've done enough. And Jesus puts an end to that. What Paul finally came to realize is, man, Jesus puts an end to that because what Jesus accomplished for us gives us righteousness that comes from God and not from me, which is really a freedom, right? Because now it's not on me. It's not on my goodness. It's based on what God gives me, not what I earn. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus made a way for us, that way went right through the cross. Because on the cross, here's what he did. You got to understand this. On the cross, what Jesus did was he took on all of our failures, all of our sin, all of our wickedness, all of our rebellion, all of our waywardness. And when he died on the cross, all that was put on Jesus. And he died for our failures, for our sin. And he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And now he offers you his perfect righteousness, his perfect right standing with God. He says, look, I'm going to make a great exchange. I'm going to take all your mess. And I'm going to give you a right standing before God. That's called the great exchange. See, God treated Jesus the way we deserve to be treated so that he could treat us the way Jesus deserved to be treated. Does that make sense? This great exchange. You cannot be good enough. Listen, you're, you're either on a try method or a trust method, all right? It's one or the other. You're either gonna try harder, try harder, which has no assurance, no confidence, and will not get you there. Or you are on a trust method, which means I'm gonna place my trust in what Jesus has done. That's why we just sang that song, Jesus, you alone, because only Jesus has done it. And Paul had this epiphany, had this waking moment that I can never earn it, but only Jesus can give it a right relationship with God. So let me ask you, have you come to that point that you've had a right relationship with God? Has there, has there been this clear moment when you said, Lord, I need Christ, I need forgiveness, please forgive me and come into my life. Paul understood that knowing Jesus is so important because only Jesus makes you right with God. Only Jesus makes you right with God. Now, there's a second thing. That would be enough, right? And that would just end of sermon. That could be plenty, right? But there's more. I feel like I'm selling Ginzu knives, right? But there's more, right? Uh, there's a second reason why knowing Jesus is important because only Jesus gives you, get this, fellowship with God. Not only does Jesus make you right with God, but he also gives you fellowship with God, a relationship, a deep and personal relationship with God. Look at verse 10. He said, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, I want you to underline in verse 10 the phrase, my goal is to know him to know him. That word know is really important. The word know there means to know by personal experience, to know intimately, to know personally. You know, it's possible to know about somebody but not really know somebody, right? Some of you know a lot about your favorite NFL quarterback, 
right? Some of you are big Mahomes fans, go Texas Tech. Uh, some of you are uh, Dak fans, whoop, whoop, you know. Some of you, you got your own, you got your own thing going on. Some of y'all heard the and Andrew Luck announcement last night, which shocked the world, you know. Some of you have got your favorite NFL. You got, the, you got them drafted in your fantasy league, right? And so you know all their stats, you know all their past, you know uh, all their tendencies, you know all, but you have never met them. You know about them, but you don't know them. And there are a lot of people that treat Jesus that way. Oh, yeah, I know about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, kind of a manger Christmas thing. Yeah, I know resurrection, that's Easter, right? I mean, I know about Jesus, but do you know him personally and intimately? See, God created you to know him, to walk in fellowship with him, for him to speak to you and guide you and direct you, for you to walk in fellowship with him day in and day out and enjoy him. Did you know that it's all the way through the Bible, by the way, in Jeremiah chapter nine, this is what we read, I love this verse. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and what? Knows me. See that? Man, don't brag because you can bench press. Uh, 250, don't brag because you got a, a big pocketbook. Don't brag because you're smart. You brag in the fact that you know me and you walk with me because only that's going to last. Jesus said the same thing in John 10. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. See, I, I know them, but they know me and they walk with me. This is why Jesus came. In 1 John 5, it says this, the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. See, God created you to have this fellowship with you, not some arm's link, yeah, I know the guy upstairs. Yeah, I try to check in with him once a week on the weekends. No, he wants to lead you and direct you to comfort you and, and walk beside you to speak life into you every single day. I was thinking about how do I illustrate this, and um, this came to my mind. There's a man in our neighborhood uh, who loves to walk his dog. This guy uh, is the perfect dog owner, okay? He walks his dog in the morning, and he walks his dog in the evening, twice a day, right? And uh, he's so gentle. He's an older man. He's very kind. He's very gentle. I've talked to him several times. He just has this kind of soft voice. And when he walks, he walks real slow. And the dog just kind of walks alongside him. I mean, he stops and pets him. I want to be this guy's dog, okay? I mean, <laughs> this is a nice man, all right? He's just, he never gets upset. Even when the dog gets a little crazy, he kind of calms him down. But he's just so peaceful all the time. Now I watch him and the dog, as the dog will walk alongside him and there's always slack in the leash because the dog is always walking right by his side. Now this is an amazing thing to me because this is not my experience walking my dog, all right? You know, I, I've got, we have this dog, Gunner. Here's a picture of him right there. There he is, there, there he is right there. He's wanting to play ball, isn't he cute, all right? And he wants to be walked, right? So I say, Gunner, you want to walk? Man, he gets excited. He starts spinning around. I go get the leash. He's like, all right, it's on. Let's go, all right? So I put the leash on. And then when we get out of the door, it's usually uh, an experience of either me being pulled by him, right? Because he's wanting to go, he's wanting to go. Or he'll want to stop and smell something. I'm like wanting to drag him. So I'm constantly either being pulled by him or pulling him, him pulling me, me pulling him. It's this constant thing. And sometimes I just want to go, man, I just want you to walk with me. 
all right? Not drag me everywhere. In fact, last night we had a breakthrough moment, right? Because last night I was walking, it was kind of that push-pull thing going on. And then we rounded the corner for the last block and he just kind of walked with, I mean, there was slack in the leash. He was just walking right next to me. I was like, whoa, all right? This is happening, right? How cool is that? And then it hit me. That's what God wants with you and with me. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to go at his pace and go his direction and to enjoy the walk, to enjoy the day, to enjoy the moment. And so many times we're kind of like, my dog, we're either pulling way ahead and he's trying to correct us or we're lagging way behind when he's trying to get us to come on and do what is best for us. And all along, I think he's going, man, I would just love it if you just walk with me. I'd love it if you just walk by my side and listen to my voice. And that's what knowing Jesus affords you and me. It allows us to have fellowship with God. When I was a young pastor, there was a businessman in our church that really taught me a lot about how to walk with God like that. I mean, yeah, I was a pastor, he was in our church, but he was a man that walked with slack in the leash. You know what I mean? He was a man that knew how to walk with God in a deep and personal way. And he began to disciple me and he shared a verse with me that has helped me understand what that's like. And really it's this verse, it's Philippians chapter three, verse 10, but he read it to me in the amplified version. And this is what it says. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Let me ask you, is that your determined purpose? Are you determined to say, I want to know Jesus like that? I want to know him more deeply and intimately. I want to know him more personally. I want to walk alongside him. I want to hear his voice. I don't want to rush ahead of where he wants me to go. I don't want to lag behind. I want to walk alongside him and enjoy fellowship with him. Paul said, that's all I want. Man, that's all I want. That's my goal. That's my purpose. He said, I don't even care if he leads into suffering. Because in suffering, he's going to make me more and more like him. In suffering, I'm going to understand what he'd like to be comforted by him. When things get hard, I'm going to know his presence with me. And eventually, no matter what happens, he's going to walk me all the way home. And I'm going to be with him forever. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, when you don't know Jesus, you can't know fellowship with God. But when you know Jesus, you're not only right with God, but you have fellowship with him every single day. Let me give you one more thing. Knowing Jesus makes you right with God. Knowing Jesus gives you fellowship with God, but also knowing Jesus shows you the purpose of God. Knowing Jesus shows you your purpose. In fact, I want you to look at verse 12. He said, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because all, uh, I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't, do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about? He's talking about his purpose. 
I want you to look at it. It says, I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. I love what the Phillips translation says. It says, grasping ever more firmly the purpose for which Christ grasps me. Here's the thing, Paul understood that the moment he met Jesus is the moment he understood and discovered his purpose. When he was on that road to Damascus in the bright light and he fell to the ground, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Christ. Then Jesus said, I'm going to show you your purpose. From now on, Paul, you're going to take my name and my gospel to the nations and the whole world will hear of me because of you. And you will suffer, but I will be with you even to the very end. Paul was dialed in on his purpose. Now listen, the minute you gave your life to Christ, God has given you a purpose. God has given it to you. And Paul said, man, I just want to lay hold of the purpose for which Christ has laid hold of me. I want to grab onto the purpose for which Christ has grabbed a hold of me. I want to fulfill the purpose for which Christ has saved me. You have been saved for purpose. Listen, you are made for more than you think. So many times we, we lay our goals so low, all right? We make them so low. Man, if, if I could just finish my career out, or if I could just get a lake house, or if I could just, you know, make this amount of money, or if I could just, you know, we could do X, Y, Z, and these things are so small. You are made for more than that. You are made for more than your golf game. You are made for more than your next trip. You are made for more than the next diploma on your wall. You were made for more than that. You were made for eternal purpose. And when you know Jesus and you say, Lord, I wanna know you and I wanna know why I'm here, he will reveal to you your greater purpose. Do you think about this? Think about this. Maybe he saved you because he knew you were gonna be a teacher. And that if you were a godly teacher, you could show God's love to every student that's in your class and when they ask you why you're so kind to them, you tell them about Jesus. Maybe he saved you because he knew you were gonna be a businessman and the way that you would treat your employees and the way you were a light in your office would be so different that people would say, why are you different? And you would share the hope that you have in God. Maybe God has put you right where you are because he saved you with that purpose in mind. Maybe for some of you, God, God has saved you because he knew he's going to send you to Montreal, or he knew he's going to send you to Lusaka, or he knows he's going to send you to London, or he's going to send you someplace to make his name known there. Maybe God has done that because I believe every person has a purpose, and God saved you for that purpose. How will you know that purpose? Until you know Jesus. You can't. But when you know Jesus, you can know God's purpose for your life. Listen, if Paul were staying right here, he would say this, nothing matters more than knowing Jesus. And I believe that, I really do. That's where your life that matters starts is when you know Jesus. So let me ask you something. Do you know that you're right with God? Do you have fellowship with God every single day? Are you walking with him more deeply and intimately? Man, is he just speaking out of his word? Is he leading you and directing you? Are you fulfilling the purpose for which he saved you and called you? It all comes back to knowing Jesus.